0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So um, this morning we come to the end of a long road, right? We started uh, the series on Mark uh, 16 weeks ago, and here we are at the end in the very last chapter of the book. And you know what, I in thinking about like what was going on, whoops, I better turn this on here. Um, What's been going on in this book as we've been going through this series, the Gospel of Mark has been all about trusting Jesus from the beginning of the book and all the way you're gonna see to the end. And actually, you know, it started out, Jesus' very first words that he spoke in the Gospel of Mark were basically about trusting in him and having faith. it it told us back in mark one jesus comes and preached the good news and it says the time promised by god has come at last he announced the kingdom of god is near repent of your sins and believe the good news and then all the way through the book chapter after chapter this whole idea of like trust in me jesus says this is going to be worthwhile put your trust in me and i'll just give you a smattering of verses as we went through Mark one, he was calling out to potential disciples, come, follow me. Mark four, there was that storm and um, the disciples were freaking out and he said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then in Mark eight, he talks about, you, you know, if you wanna be my follower, you've gotta give up your own way. You know, His implication here is, you're gonna have to take on my ways, says Jesus, if you're gonna really trust in me. Take up your cross and follow me. In Mark 10, he talks about the payoff, even when things get tough. And he makes this amazing promise where he says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return 100 times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. He's going like, look, He said, whatever, you know, relationships that get hampered and taken away because of following me and property and money, you're going to get it back, he says, now, along with persecution. And then he concludes this part and he says, in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. He says, it's just going to go on and on. There's so much that I can give you here if you trust me. He talks about his own coming eventually in the clouds with great power and glory to gather us to be with him. And then uh, uh, along the way, he's been promising, look, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to die. Uh, they'll, they're going to kill me. But he says, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. He's going, I'm not just going to be some hero who becomes a martyr. He says, I'm going to be a living Lord. I'm going to be alive. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And this kind of, to me just illustrates what it says in Romans 1, that in, it says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, in Mark 16, as we get to the end of this book, this, is, this chapter brings out a couple of things, that trusting Jesus brings the greatest rewards. But it's not easy. And you're going to see that Jesus' first disciples here had a lot of problems believing and trusting him at this point. And I think their problems are our problems as well. And so let's start the chapter here. It's verse 1 of chapter 16. And it says, On Saturday evening, remember Jesus died on Friday afternoon, when the Sabbath ended... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. So as soon as the restrictions were over, here it is, it's sundown on Saturday. They go out and get these spices so they're gonna be all ready for the next morning. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe, with a white robe, sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, and now they identify this young man as actually an angel, a supernatural being, and he's got a body here. And it says, don't be alarmed, says this angel. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there, just as he told you before he died. So he goes like, look, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And I got instructions for you. I want you to go and tell his disciples to head north. That's where I'm going to meet you. We're going to leave this area that's a hotbed of political intrigue. And let's get out of here. I've got some last-minute instructions I'll give you in the northern part of Israel. And um, now just do that. Now what happens here is the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. So they disobeyed what the angel told them to do. They're going, we're not going to say anything. And I think one of the reasons is this bewilderment here. It, it can be hard to understand. I mean, just think of the position they're in. They've seen Jesus practically get beaten to death. and Then they hang him on a cross and asphyxiate him. So he's, he's crucified. They see that he clearly is dead when they take his body down. These people haul him off, stick him in a tomb... And he's been there for uh, you know a couple of days now. And they know the science. It says, you know, you're dead, you're dead, you start to decompose. They haven't seen him, right? They just have a guy that appears in the tomb going, yeah, yeah, he's risen. And it's really hard for them to believe this. It's hard to understand. And I believe this is the same position we find ourselves in too. We have, here we are confronted with people telling us week after week, Yeah, Jesus is alive. No, we can't see him, but he's actually alive, and he's present, and he does this, and he's done that in the past, and now here we are 2,000 years later, and it's gonna be, it's hard for us with our mentality of just, I see what I, you know, whatever I believe, that's what I have to have seen to actually understand this. You know, I was thinking about this in terms of what happened in Maui back in August. Remember they had those wildfires there? They you know they kind of mismanage the land. They end up with all this dry grass and stuff, and then wildfire starts and another one, and the fires just start catching on. And the firefighters are going like, "We need the water, you know. We need this water that's being stored in reservoirs here on the island to fight these fires to put out this thing. This is this is a lethal fire." That guy on the left there is Kaleo Manuel. He's like the the uh, water management uh, director for Maui and he wouldn't release the water. He's going, and then ask him, like five hours later, when he finally said yes, after 100 people have died and the island's destroyed, to go like, why didn't you do the, release the water when we needed it? He goes, water access should always follow conversations about equity. This guy's ideology, his, his politics, he, he couldn't think in this new situation that he was presented with, he couldn't make the adjustment. He couldn't orient himself to this new news that he had gotten and the result there was tragedy. And it's like as believers, as people who are like looking at Jesus being told to believe in him, here's something that's brand new, somebody rising from the dead and he's alive even though we cannot see him here. And it's like trusting Jesus will reorient our thinking about everything. You know, it isn't just going to be like, okay, this, but it's like, now we realize, hey, when I get in trouble, that's the first thing I want to do is I want to talk to Jesus. He's the living Lord. He's alive. It isn't going to be like the old way where things just deteriorated and I'm trying to, you know, solve my problems all by myself. And then finally, when I run out of gas, I go like, oh, there's nothing to do now. Well, maybe I guess I could pray. You know, and it's gonna reorient our attitude toward the stuff that we've got and the time that we spend, the entertainment, our relationships. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a real change. And that's hard, but that's what faith is about. And I think it also can be scary. It says that they didn't say anything because they were too frightened. And I think sometimes it's like a scary thing to contemplate a fact that we've got a living God that he knows all about us, and he walks with us, and he's got power. I think about uh, Graham Greene here. This is a, a great British novelist. I teach uh, one of his novels, The Power and the Glory, just an outstanding book, in my opinion, anyway, and he's, uh, he was a guy who was married, but he was a serial philanderer. He had affair after affair after affair, and he was a Catholic. And so, you know, here he's going, I'm a Catholic, I know this is wrong, I shouldn't be having an affair, and I feel terribly guilty about it, but I'm not willing to break it off. And so, this one time, he's traveling in Europe with his mistress, and um, he's just feeling this guilt, and he goes, you know what, I think I'm, I know that there's this guy named Padre Pio, that's the guy there on the right, the picture of him, And this guy's a famous, like, priest, and he's known for being empathetic and for giving people a lot of time to confess their sins. And maybe I'll go and see this guy and try to unload this terrible guilt that I'm feeling. And so he and his mistress drive to Spain, and there they go to see Padre Pio. And while Padre Pio is celebrating a mass, Graham Greene, realizes that he, he's actually been witnessing a man who during this whole time with the congregation has actually had, had done a miracle. And Graham Greene, he's just like scared. He's going, whoa, this is real. And so he and his mistress get in the car and drive away. And he, he thought about this and he thought, you know, I had this guilt, I needed to confess, I needed to deal with somebody who could confront me. And two years before Green died, he said, I didn't want to change my life by meeting a saint. And when he went to his grave, Green described himself as a Catholic atheist. Sounds like a contradiction in terms, but he had this membership that he knew was right, let's say, as a Christian. But it was too scary to actually change and repent. It was a scary thing. And I think trusting Jesus is going to cause us to step into the unknown. Because when we put our, hand, our lives in the hands of a living God, it's like who knows what he's going to call us to do. He may tell us, go tell those disciples to go to Galilee. Or he may say, you know, give up that sexual sin in your life. He may tell us to pray for our enemies. He may tell us to start being more generous. Who knows what he's going to call us to do in our lives. And then it says in verse 9, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. You know what? They're just like so sad. I mean, they had banked everything on this Jesus and what he was gonna do and how he was the answer and now here he's dead. I mean that's the way they're looking at this and it's just so sad, it's just like crushing. This thing that they had based their their lives upon and I think people sometimes get to this point where they just get kinda like I can't believe that anything good is gonna come out of this because I've been burned too many times. And I think about the experience that we've had in the last couple centuries. I mean, here's Lenin, upper left-hand corner in the picture there. But this guy comes, you know, to, to Russia and he goes like, "I can build you a, you know, the socialist utopia that's going to be like the perfect society." And the people put their trust in him, and it ends up to be seventy years of slavery and a, a prison camp there. And then you got a guy like Hitler who comes to the Germans and he goes like. I'm gonna build the greatest nation you've ever heard of in your whole life. And it turns out to be a disaster and just destroys it. And literally thousands of people committed suicide after the war because they were so disillusioned and disappointed. And you think of Jim Jones who told his followers in Guyana, yeah, drink the Kool-Aid and you got a David Koresh down in Texas and on and on. And I think of my students at, at school who have been burned in relationship after relationship or contacts that they had on the internet and stuff like this where they got scammed and it's like they're going like, I can't trust anybody. And it's like sometimes you get so beat down in times where you are disillusioned, it's hard to believe that someone really has the answers after all. And, I, and you know, it's like trusting Jesus is going to deliver us from relying on what fails us because we've seen that, I think, many times in our own lives where things have just, it's been painful as we've gone through these experiences. Then it says, going on, afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but nobody believed them. And I, it, you know, it's also this aspect, kind of like the last one, but it's like life's discouragements can make us lose hope. You know, Jesus, I think they're referring in verse 12, Mark's referring to that time where Jesus ran into these guys from on the road to Emmaus, and he, they didn't understand that it was him. He looked different. And then he finally revealed himself when they were eating. But he came in a different form. And I was thinking about that different form and how sometimes God in our lives shows up in ways that we didn't expect and that kind of like throw us for a loop. You know, it's like this Babylon B uh, thing. It says, God will never give you more than you can handle in life. It says man unfamiliar with God or life. And isn't that true? I mean, people will throw that cliche at you. Oh, yeah, God will give you never more than... You know, Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians 1, he said, we were given more than we could handle. We didn't have the strength in ourselves to, to get it done. And I don't know if you've come to the point sometimes where you're going, God, why? Like, why is this happening to me? Or why, why, can't, why do I keep having to go through this thing that keep praying about? Or you kind of feel like why didn't God answer that prayer? I've got kids who've written in their journals about how they were—they thought they were believers, but then somebody that they loved very much died, and they had prayed for that person over and over again. But you know what? We we have these preconceptions about God. We got them in this little box. We're going, well, well if you're really God, then you're going to do this. But he's God. We're not. And, and he, to have faith means... We're going to trust him even in those bad times, right? And that's not easy. That's not an easy thing. Trusting Jesus is going to force us to put aside our preconceptions of what what God will do. And finally, I think we got a problem in ourselves where we're often very stubborn. And it tells us in verse 14, Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief, because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. You know, there are some times, and I remember in my life I was like this, where I'd come to church Sunday after Sunday as a kid, and they'd, they'd give the good news, and they'd say, yeah, trust in Jesus. He's the one. This is what he did for you. You can trust him. And every Sunday I'd walk away, and I was like, well, I don't know. And it was really, at the bottom of it, it was stubbornness. It was like an unwillingness to finally give in and surrender, and I think that can happen. And I think this is how church can sometimes be a trap for us, because we kind of feel good because we went to church and we did our religious thing, but we're not acting upon it. And I'll give you an extreme example here of that stubbornness. This is, on the left there is Kaylee McAvoy, She's a minister, I guess, somewhere in New York. But when she was at Union Theological Seminary as a seminarian there, she uh, she got pregnant. She didn't expect that she was gonna get pregnant, uh, but she did, and so she and her boyfriend went down to the Cathedral of St. John the Divine uh, in New York. It's the biggest church building in America. And they went in that building there, and there's a chapel within that building Uh, And they went in that chapel, and nobody else was in there, and they closed the door, and her boyfriend stood guard at the door so nobody else could get in. And then she made a phone call uh, to an abortion center to make an appointment while her boyfriend guarded the door, and anybody who tried to get in, he said, you can't come in, we're having a holy moment. She wrote about this in the Washington Post as, you know, describing this as a holy abortion. And that just sounds like grating to my ears like, what? How can this be? But I read something by a guy who's associated with her, Dr. Willie Parker. This guy is a guy who's like spearheads this movement to uh, bring, give religious reasons to make us think that having an abortion is a Christian thing. And he says this. You don't become sacred like Mary just because you conceived. The part of you that's like God is the part that makes a choice that says, I choose to, I choose not to. That's what's sacred. That's the part of you that's like God to me. Now, that sounds kind of arrogant, but that's the attitude of so many people in our culture in the 21st century, isn't it? It's like we have, in the absence of a God that we believe in as real, we become God. And our choices become the supreme thing. And this is why people hold so fast to their rights of all kinds in our culture. Because it's all about what I want to do when I want to do it, or what I don't want to do. I make that choice. That becomes like my, my God thing. And this is a stubbornness that's hard to break down. I think we're all naturally inclined a bit in that way, to just wanting our ways, to Never outgrowing being two-year-olds and kind of spending our, our time rationalizing why our decisions are right, even though they come from our own inherent like selfishness here. And trusting Jesus is going to take us out of the realm of putting our own choices first, because Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." And if that's the case, then we don't have the authority. It's not about my choices anymore. It's, that's not going to be it. It's going to be about him and me saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You are Lord. You're the one I'm going to follow, and you're the one that I'm going to trust. And I want to just stress this morning that the stakes of faith are very high. You see, uh, in Mark 16, Jesus says some famous words. But they reveal to us that there's only two options in life. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now, what do I do with Jesus, okay? So I got two choices, right? One, I can trust him with my life. And the other choice is, I don't trust him, Okay. If I trust him with my life, I'll be rescued from condemnation. The word saved simply means to be rescued. So it's like, without trusting Jesus, I'm in a pool of condemned people. We're just inherently in a world that's under condemnation. And if we don't do anything, if we just go, well, I can't make up my mind, we're still condemned, right? If I don't trust him, I'm still condemned. Jesus said this in John 3, and he's referring to himself in the third person. He says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, in the Son of, of God. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Our default position is condemnation. And if we're just passive about this, and we don't take that step of faith, we're still condemned. I think that's something that many times we don't realize, you know, as we're kind of putzing around about this. I'll give you like an analogy to this. Uh, over on the left-hand side there, you see my 2002 Honda CRV. It has almost 246,000 miles on it. Okay, the other thing that's distinctive about this is that the check engine light is always on. Okay. It has been on for a good like 12 years, Con- continually. This causes a problem during e-check times, right? You know what the e-check is, right? That's a scam where they're just going. We need to em- people need employment, so we'll pretend like we're cleaning up the environment and all this. So we bring your car in there to check it and stuff. Well, you know that's automatic failure when you got your e- you know that uh, check engine light on. So every two years, when I got to get this checked. I go through all his stress, and I call my mechanic, and he goes, take it in, fail it, bring me the failing thing, I'll futz around with it, charge you money, and we'll try to get this thing through. Okay, so this year, I go through the same thing, right? So I call him, goes, fail it. Before I can fail it, though, Nan goes shopping on a Sunday afternoon, Say after watching The Wonderful Browns, but it's getting, like, later in the afternoon, she returns about dusk, leaves the lights in the car on, okay? Next morning, I get up to drive that car, and it's dead in a doornail. And so I go, like, okay, I'll come back, I'll take the other car, I'll come back, I'll jump it. So I come back, you know, I put the cables on it, jump the car, battery's good, and the check engine light is off. I go, yes! So I make a beeline for the e-check station, I'm gonna get this thing through. So I get in there and they just run the little check. Okay, all your equipment is here. I mean, it's just a sensor that's wrong. I'm not polluting. It's just that the sensor costs a lot of money and it's just going to, it just malfunctions all the time. So, but then when they run it through the machine, it says not ready for testing. I'm going like, what's this? And the guy goes, well, you gotta drive it some more, you know, or come back tomorrow. So okay, so I take it out of there. It's, it's non-compliant. Take it home, next day I drive it, you know, I get up in the morning, still off. I drive to work, I start it up after work, it's still off. I run it on the expressway for a few miles just to get it all ready. I drive it in there just like there it is, you know, through that door. They check it out, it passes. And I get that sheet of paper right there. Got that framed, okay, and so. It passes, and here's the cool part. I leave that thing at the end there, I turn left onto their driveway, the check engine line comes back. <laughs> this is the highlight for me of 2023. <laughs> it's the best thing that happened all year, it's so cool. Now here, contrast this with my son, my younger son who lives out in Vegas. He's got an old car, and the same problem. And this year, he's tried everything, and even his mechanic has, and he, can't get it done. And he, he, the thing is, if he can't get that piece of paper, it's condemned. And today's the day when his registration expires. You know, it's he's he could polish that car up. He could make it as sweet looking as possible, but if you can't get that paper, it's condemned. And this is a position that we find ourselves in unless we trust in Jesus. It's the only way to pass. The only way to pass. The stakes are high. We can't fool around about this. And, you know, the chapter ends by saying we're going to be empowered if we trust Jesus. There's, I mean, when we trust in him, it's, we're talking eternal life, we're talking about forgiveness of sins, we're talking about all these great blessings, but we're also talking about how, as we walk along in our daily lives, he's doing great things in our lives right now. He's changing us from the inside out, but also we have the power to just like bless people who are around us. And he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe, they'll cast out demons in my name, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. He's not saying, hey, let's play with snakes and stuff just to see what happens. No, he's just saying, look, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to be in dangerous situations, but he's going to be there for us, you know, and he's going to be enabling us to do some good things on behalf of people. I was just thinking about the casting out demons. I mean, this isn't like the big show like they say in the movies. I think it's just like sometimes you just, the Lord uses you to do this. I remember one time one of my seniors came up to me after class and he goes like, Mr. Fenske, I'm having these terrible nightmares and sometimes even like flashbacks during the day. I was in a bad car accident. Somebody was killed. There was blood all over the place. I just, it's horrible. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, would you do that? We're walking down the hall Toward lunch and I said, "Hey, there's a classroom that's open right now. I know this period. Let's go in there and pray." So we went in there, I started praying for him, and then I, you know, I thought, "Hey, it says, "In my name they'll cast out demons." So I just said, "In Jesus' name, I command this spirit that's making him fear, fearful, to just be gone." And I couldn't see anything. It wasn't anything changed in the room. There wasn't anything flashy. I just kept, and then I prayed for him some more. He went to lunch, but he told me after that, he said, I never had another nightmare. I never had another of these flashbacks. It was just like gone. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's just ordinary day-to-day stuff where we are walking in the power of the Lord. You know, the handling snakes here, Paul, it says in Acts 28, he was on this island of Malta here, And this poisonous snake bit him on the hand. And the people thought, whoa, he's going to drop dead. You know, he's obviously a murderer. And it says, but Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. It's like God's going, I'm going to protect you here, Paul. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they'd waited a long time, saw he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Very fickle kind of people here, right? But here's like God going, look, at, I got more work for you to do, Paul. And then the story goes on, and he runs into this Publius's father. This guy's an official on the island that welcomes him. Paul, it says, went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed, and they were showered with honors. Paul got a venue to speak the words of life to people, and their lives were changed as well. This is the kind of stuff that God enables us, us to do in our daily lives, this little stuff that people don't even notice, but we're, we're ministering in Jesus' name to people and blessing them. Last Tuesday, we had a Thanksgiving chapel at Lutheran West, and Ken Daniel is our, um, uh, he's our music director, great guy. His father had been in the hospital last year with, uh, with an internal bleeding that they could not figure out what was going on. He was there for literally a couple of months because they had to keep giving him blood transfusions. And we were praying for him, every single chapel. And there was a time where it looked like maybe he was going to die. You know, this was just so bad. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. And he was out of the hospital, and he planted a big garden this last summer. And so Ken, when he he was speaking at that chapel about what he was thankful for, his father was, came in, Henry, 88-year-old guy. And so this guy kind of, you know, he's old. He kind of shuffles up to the mic. I'm going, like, I hope he doesn't trip over to mic cords and stuff. And he gets up there, and he grabs the mic, and then he starts singing. And he goes, to God be the he's just deep voice. The kids are going, like, whoa, this is great, you know. And then he starts, like, preaching uh, from the Bible. And then he starts sharing his testimony and he goes, the second best hospital in the world couldn't figure it out, but you prayed for me. And he goes on, and I'm going like, I gotta get the mic back from the sky. <laughs> I mean, third period is going down the drain, you know. But, but this was so powerful, and it was just like this was just Mark chapter 16, wasn't it? It's like God was doing great things, and I believe He's gonna, He will do these kind of things in our lives too, you know, as we go forth. In his name and trust him. And I think this is what, what God's goal for all of us is here. And this is how the chapter ends. Uh, as we trust him, the Lord will work through us. And it says, when the Lord Jesus had finished ta- talking with them, he was taken up to heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said about many, by many miraculous signs. These are these first century followers of Jesus had so many doubts, right? So much like they couldn't believe it at first. The Lord strengthened them, encouraged them. And may that be our story this morning. And may we be ready to also uh, go out and be his instruments in our world today. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we come to you this morning, we, first of all, just want to thank you because we are, we find, sometimes find it very hard for one reason or another just to lay down our lives and to, and to take up that cross and follow you. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that's kind of wavering, hasn't like decided where, where he or she, where they're going with this whole thing, that you would, that you'd give them the, the faith to trust you. Just draw them to yourself. Lord, strengthen us as we deal with a world that's very antagonistic to you and wanting to go its own way and help us to be those lights in the dark place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.